Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Hey, gardening friends, I do hope you are okay. We are looking forward to hearing from you today. And our gardening team is ready, Bev Daring and John Glidden. And uh, the lines are ready for you, 94841927. And don't forget, you can email us, gardening at And a big shout out to uh, our cycle boy, Jim Crinan, cycle boy and DJ Jim Crinan for the breakfast program this morning, of which he did marvellously well. And Bev Daring gave him a hand with that. She, she got out of bed a little bit earlier. Not hard to do on these mornings and uh, gave him a gave him a hand. Fakari, it is nice to see you and have you back. We sort of missed you last week, right? Oh, I missed being here, Ray, I have to say. But yes. I listened as much as I could from afar and I thought you girls did a great job. So thanks to Andrea Whiteley for yes. stepping in and yes. filling we had fun. my space. Yeah, we had fun. I'm sure you did. Yeah, no, it was nice. It was nice to be back and it was nice chatting with our listeners and seeing what everyone had been up to over the Christmas period and, of course, how they're handling and coping in this uh, wretched heat. I'm not going to well, sugarcoat this. <laughs> well, therefore, Ray, this is why we must turn our focus to the positives. And last week... I know, you, Ray, I know you're well, very good at that. Well, we just... We just have to. We honestly do. It's not all doom and gloom. We can't focus on what's negative. We we must look at the positive right across the board. Now, last weekend, Grady Brand talked about our West Australian plants. And, you know, what I wanted him to, to talk more about was the way plants respond to hot conditions. If you're living on the coast... Some of the plants are silver. That tells us that they mm, they withstand mm. that hot, dry heat, and they they might even be furry. Mm. And that's another way they protect themselves and shade their leaves. On a really hot day, in the middle of the day, plants will actually curl up their leaves, mm. or their leaves will droop. Mm. Now, on a lovely, bright, sunny, mild day, the the leaves will be open, they'll be flat, they'll be taking in all that sunlight. But, of course, when it's 43 degrees, they hang down going, nope, barleys, let's just, you know, have less surface area to mm. pick up those sun's rays. Mm. So if we can understand what their response is and and manage them, and I think we'll be talking more about those sorts of things As time this goes year. by. They're very yeah. clever. Yeah. They're, you know, they've been around forever. If you look at... Uh, native gardens at the moment, you know, Kings Park is still looking amazing. Mm. Uh, maybe some of the suburban gardens aren't. Maybe the bush is not looking amazing if you look at it across the board. But those plants are in what I call limp mode or summer survival. Survival so mode, I call it, yeah. Let's not expect too much of gardens looking like a tropical oasis. Oh, I don't think we expect that. I think a lot of us, including myself, are disappointed of that they've been they've been burnt 
so badly. Oh. I think and you it's know not what? an expectation, it's disappointment. It's draw a line in the sand because <clears throat> a month on. I know. Even, you know, when the autumn rains come, boom, they'll be bursting back into life. Yeah. The older leaves will drop off. Yeah. And you'll have a flush of new growth. It, so don't don't rush out there and just cut back all those burnt no. leaves. Because it's tempting, but don't You'll do get it. another layer of burn underneath. Mm. I mean, I was in my shade house last night uh, throwing a bit of water around and I, I, I walked past, brushed past my fiddle leaf fig and one of the big leaves just fell off as I walked past. Mm. And I reckon if you brush past me at the moment, some part of me might fall <laughs> off. I reckon. I thought that when it fell off, I looked down at the ground and I thought, I know how you feel, mate. Well, you know, yeah. the dust in our house, it's dead dead skin. We shed. Stop. Yeah. We're not the same people that we were 20 years <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Now, today we are chatting with Jennifer Laycock from Plastica Fantastica. Now, she was coming to Perth as part of the Fringe Festival. That has changed in the last 48 hours. Yes. So, which is, uh, you know, obviously a, a huge pity. But we are talking about her her performances and how she highlights environmental education. Mm. And it's very clever, really, because she does it with humour. And what better way to learn? Uh, because I think, I know, my guy, eyes glaze over when we start talking about plastics and sometimes recycling and things like that. Mm. I do get a bit like, oh, here we, here we go. Yeah. But, you know, with this type of approach, this is the way to get the message through. It's mm. very clever. I'm looking forward to chatting with her this morning at 20 past eight. And in the studio, Ian McGregor, we're talking Arrowheads this morning. Uh, he's the WA delegate for the Arrowhead Society of Australia, and he will be in the studio with us this morning. And Faye and I are very excited about that. It's a great subject, and uh, you you will enjoy it. Well, I have to tell listeners, if you haven't heard the term Arrowhead, I don't blame you. But it's the umbrella or the family of <coughs> yeah, things family. like philodendrons, monsteras, aglonemias, and uh, everyone out there is going goniums, yeah. <laughs> You know those <laughs> all our the peace lilies, yeah, all our indoor in- plants. Indoor. Many of them are aroids. Mm, they're mm. foliage plants. They're climbers. Mm. They're hangers. Uh, <laughs> they're full of foliage, and we they're just love them. Amazing. Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah. And there's... There's an Aroid Society, Ray. Yes, I know. I will join it. I shall join it. We're in Rolly Stone. Margaret, how are you? Oh, good morning. I'm well. How are you? Good, thanks, Margaret. Thank you. Good. Unlike my uh, the new growth on my roses, they're being um, chomped away. Ah. Now, I've used pyrethrin, but um, it's not really helping much. Okay. Can you suggest what else I should spray them with? Well, I think probably your culprits are little katydids or grasshoppers out there at the moment. Ah, I must admit, I was checking out my roses a couple of days ago and I saw this one leaf that was completely skeletonized. And then I looked at another couple of leaves close by and I counted about four of these little katydids or grasshoppers. Um, They're the babies probably of Belanga irregularis. They're a very large grasshopper if they grow, and okay. they can they can eat a lot. But they can. I've got a lot of grasshoppers mm. in my garden. They're everywhere. Mm. They're doing so, the damage too. So you can go out. What what I would have done in my case if they bothered me was I would have picked off the leaves that they were on and disposed of them. Uh, birds yeah. will eat them. Chooks will eat them. Or you could put them in the rubbish bin. Uh, 
The other thing is putting something on the leaves that makes it less likely that they will eat them. And that might be something like a, a seaweed-based or a fish-based product. Okay. Uh, or you might like to go to something like, um, I think, beta bug has that same sort of deterrent in it. Mm. So it makes the plants less likely for the bugs to want to eat them. However, on adjoining leaves, and the reason I don't spray mine is because there was evidence of all these circles, perfect circles cut out of the rose leaves. And that tells yeah. me that the leafcutter bees have been very active. So that's why I don't spray my roses. I've also had lots of little birds in the garden. We have blue wrens around at the moment. Uh, there's some lovely little honey eaters, willy wagtails. Uh, I found a praying mantis in the same garden bed. And, of course, these predators will also take care of those sorts of things. And I found a new yeah. little lace wing insect in the garden. So, you know, I'm not sure yet whether... That is a, another predator, uh, but stay tuned. So, Margaret, you don't think you have any chilli thrip issues, do you? Sorry? You don't think you have any chilli thrip on your roses because that's no. out there at the moment? No, I can't Good. see anything. Good. I've been out, I go out in the morning and yeah. the afternoon and I can't see what it, what is uh, doing the doing damage. It. But well, I've got it wouldn't Charlie Carp there, so I might spray them with mm. that. And, and, and the thing is, that'll give the roses a boost as well. It will, and, yeah. And yeah. um, last year we talked to Catherine Hubble and she talked about a lactobacillus serum, which you can actually make up using milk. And that's a very natural product that actually strengthens the plants and makes them less likely to be attacked. Okay. So if I Google that, it, it'll probably give me yes, the recipe. Yes, lactobacillus serum. Isn't it? It's okay. on one of our podcasts too. It is. Oh, lovely. Yes. Lovely. Just have to have a little scroll through, Margaret. Yeah. Okay, I will. Thank you so much for your help. You're Thank welcome. You, Thanks, okay, Margaret. cheers for that. Bye. I must say with that serum, I haven't made it. I was about to. It's not a straightforward process. Oh, it just takes time, I found. Yeah, and, and having to siphon out the layers of... That wasn't... It wasn't that hard, Ray. Really? Because I looked at that and I thought, oh, this yeah, is too hard. You've just got to take it one step at a time. In my case, I had this, you know, other science project hanging around for weeks. Mm. And I I have science projects all over the place. I so. bet you do. Mm. But how did you find that as a science project? You did it? Do you... I, I went through most of the steps. I, I have to get back on that horse and have another crack at it. But initially... It starts with um, rice, rice, washing mm. rice. So if you're making up fried rice and you're going to boil some rice, that waste water is mm. what you start with. Yeah, it's very simple. You you later on add milk. You could add molasses or syrup. I would go with molasses because to me that sounded like the secret ingredient that uh, tips the the plants over the edge that makes the bugs not want to eat it. Mm. But through my rose garden, there doesn't seem to be um, much damage of anything. The The sun, of course, has affected some of the leaves where they're getting more reflective heat from paving. Yeah. Um, like I said, the, the birds have been in. There's a praying mantis living there at the moment. The flowers are quite small, but they're, they're looking they pretty good in small. comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... 
my Pierre de Ronsard is even flowering. Is it's it like, again? With those few days of cooler weather, mm. I've got geraniums looking really good. They're mm. in a shady position. Yeah. I've done a lot of shifting around. Yes. <laughs> moving things yeah. into areas where there's canopy. Yeah, where they can live mm. and cope. And a lot of things are looking pretty good. So <coughs> this last week I got out the, the seaweed products and I yeah. started giving some of my plants um, a drink of that with the watering can. Would you fertilise at the moment? No. No. I, I just mm. wouldn't. I, you know, some of Too my plants are stressed. They're not mm. getting as much uh, of anything as they would like. I'm being more careful with the water because I'm quite mindful of different plants seem to like or need water at different times of the day. Mm. I was having trouble with some of the succulents that seemed to to burn off and I I mistakenly thought that watering in the morning was a good idea but actually I understand reading one of Bob Hunter's posts that the the cactus or succulents will take in the moisture at night time mm. rather than than the daytime mm-hmm. and what I also noticed was if I'd watered at a time where it was still very warm the steam, the mist that came up from the ground, and yeah. and you know that can steam the plants, the leaves, and the stems. Mm. So being more more mindful of that because succulents can withstand dry periods mm. better better than we give them credit for. Mm. So I'm um, yeah trying trying a few different things. I'd like to be this authority on how we can manage our water better, Ray. Yes, well, we're working on that. I mean, there's lots coming up, isn't there, in the next few weeks where yes. we will be discussing those issues. And I'd love to hear from listeners that have got great tips about how they stretch their watering or what, what works for them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh-oh, here we are. We're in Kelmscott talking to Brenda. Good morning. Hi, Good Brenda. Morning. How are nice you? Again. Happy New Year to you both. You too. Thank you. Um, I'm... Re- I've, like everybody else, been horrified by what's died, particularly my back garden lawn. My front lawn, I've got wood chips, but yeah. all of a sudden the middle bit just all kind of died. I think it's when we had the heavy winds and there was articulation, I have a bore, well, it wasn't meeting in the middle and it just died. It was um, ordinary grass, you know. Mm. Anyway... I pay for somebody to mow it and all this, and I'm wondering, is it better to later on this year get it taken out and put artificial lawn in the list or I'll be paying for someone to to fix it and it won't end up looking absolutely dreadful like it does at the moment? Brenda, if you ask me, it's a flat-out capital N-O, no. Okay? I just, I couldn't do it. You know, I sat on my front lawn yesterday, I kicked my thongs off, I laid there, I sprinkled a bit of water around. I had five different types of birds come down for water. I sat under the gum trees, which I cursed because of their leaves. But I was very thankful for the canopy of the gum trees, for the shade they gave and for that lawn. And as I sat there, this is I said to myself, this is why I have lawn, because you wouldn't be doing that on artificial turf in the middle of the day. I guarantee you the temperatures on artificial turf are at least 20 degrees you can't you can't sit on it you would not Mm. want to be out there that's just for starters but I look down because I'm trying to justify my lawn how can I use water on my lawn when they want to cut our 
another day of our water. You know, like, why should I water my lawn? So I, I watched the birds. I enjoyed sitting on that lawn, the feeling, my mental health just kicked up a notch. It was just relaxing. I listened to the birds. I watched them pick at things in the grass. There was a layer of leaves and gum nuts that had chewed, been chewed by the red-tailed black cockatoos earlier in the day. I looked down the lawn to the swing set that's there. I want my grandchildren to be able to play on lawn and know what it feels like. I want them to have the freedom and the space. And I want to have a wedding on that lawn. So, no, I... Well, that's definitely not a no-no for me. I'm 84. <laughs> I'm not getting married anywhere. And the, and the grandchildren are pretty well grown up. I'm getting great grandchildren yeah. now. But... i tell you what I will do. I will come back in, in a few weeks on the subject of artificial loan. I don't want to bag it for the people who sell it. Uh, it might it might be good in some places. There might be a right place for it. But I, I'm all about nature and gardening and artificial lawn does not tick Have any of my boxes. any redeeming qualities for, no, from, no, our, like from our perspective, Brenda. So have got a that's got comfortable chairs and tables. Yeah. I mean, um, but I'm definitely not of the age of laying down in the grass. No, so yeah. Brenda... I tripped and fell down on the grass and it took me ages to get up with the help of the dog. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you did lay down on the real grass because you might have got burnt if it was artificial. But also on that note... I didn't we, know that. I didn't know that. We it's will good. work towards finding a solution for you to have a better lawn without all the yeah. the headaches. That's going to be yeah. one of our missions this year. Oh, thank you. Okay. All right. Yeah, have a great thank day, you. Brenda. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. All right. We'll be back in a moment. Kitchen Radio. You are with Ray and Faye. This is Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Now, as we spoke about a little earlier this morning, we are chatting with Jennifer Laycott. Jennifer is from Plastica Fantastica, and she is based in Queensland. And she's going to educate us a little bit about waste-free living. And she does this through through comedy, which we think is a sensational idea. Jennifer, good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are you going? Hi. How thanks, are you? Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. When you and I spoke the other day, I was just telling Ray off air, you yeah. you were initially working at a hospital with Cap- yes. Captain Starlight and yeah. <laughs> as another part of the day doing a defensive driving course. Oh, yes, yes, I, I was doing that the other day. I still work as a Captain Starlight, so that's kind of my day job, and then I do all performing around that. Fantastic. Now, you you studied in France? Yeah, I studied. I got a scholarship overseas at one point, and I studied at a school called École Philippe Gaulier in just outside of Paris for a year. So it's an acting school there, and then um, before then I studied in Toowoomba for three years. Wow. Wow. And you, you're so young. Yeah, I'm 26. I'm forgetting how old I am. Right. Oh, amazing. So in your spare time, you also run workshops on sustainable living or plastic free. Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, sure. So 
Uh, the company I work under, I started myself, is called Art for Earthlings. So it's an inclusive uh, company. So we do entertainment for children all the way up to adults because environmental education is something I believe that we all need to learn no matter how old we are. So we do the shows, but we also do workshops. So we've done workshops at festivals. We've done workshops. We do a lot of workshops at the Brisbane City Council all over the place. And we do things like uh, plastic-free alternatives or we might do art workshops with kids, but we make our own glue and we do it all out of found things like sticks and leaves or we might use wooden beads instead of plastic beads. Um, So things like that. One of our most popular ones is actually one of our gardening ones that we make little origami pots out of newspaper instead of using uh, plastic seedling Mm. pots. That's a good tip. And, of course, this time of year, I, I often like to kick off with sustainable ideas, how gardeners can use less plastic in their gardens or how they can reuse or recycle. So have you got some tips for gardeners out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um I'm definitely a very passionate gardener as well. I've only got a small little plot, but I do love gardening. Um, Some of the tips, which uh, mainly my mother actually has taught me. So I don't use any cable ties. We use uh, twine or a ripped up cotton shirt once it's come to the end of its life. And we use that um, if we need to tie anything, like staking the tomatoes or things like that. Um, and steaks, we always use wooden steaks instead of the plastic steaks or even just found bits of tree branch. We use that as well. Um, we like to use, we, we do a lot of composting and we have worm farms. So that means that it's re- helping us reduce our waste. And in turn, we can use that compost and the stuff from the worm farm in our garden to help make our garden nice and luscious. We use our cardboard boxes to flatten the weeds out um, underneath our mulch before we lay it. So there's so many different things that you can do in the garden to reduce your waste. Absolutely. And, of course, reusing plastic pots, giving them a scrub, cleaning them up and and repotting into them to give away to friends or... Yeah, absolutely. And I even just said the other day... um, when I was chatting with you, uh, once I had just too many pots and I was moving house, so I I put them all on Marketplace, on, which is a fa- on Facebook, yeah. kind of like Gumtree, and someone came and bought them. I think I had like 50 of them, and someone came and bought them for 20 bucks. So that Gosh. way you make a little bit, and then Gosh. that way that person was going to sell seedlings at the market. So it just means you're continuing the reusing and recycling cycle. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Now, we did have a call um, a short while ago from a lady called Brenda who asked, she told us she was having problems with her lawn and she asked what we thought about artificial turf. I just wondered if you have an opinion on that. Yeah, look, I am not a fan of artificial turf um, Mm. for a multitude of reasons. Especially, like, this isn't even about the plastic side. I just find that you feel less grounded when you're on the fake turf because it doesn't feel right. And I love going out into the grass because it just, you feel grounded. Connected, um, yep. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. feel, so if if the earth is cold that day, your feet feel cold or wet or warm. But with the artificial turf, it's honestly always warm. 
Um, and as far as the plastic side of it, it probably depends on what quality you get. But it starts to break away, and those little bits of plastic are going to go end up in your in your like drainage, like drainage pipes. It could end up, which leads out to the ocean. And also, just the way that wildlife adapts to that type of turf, um, you're not going to get worms. Um, it's it's going to be harder to clean too. It, yeah, I'm not definitely not a fan. I understand why people do it, but I think it causes some issues in the long run, especially mm. with drainage, just a plenitude of things. I, I guess also in years to come, our waste disposal facilities are are going to just be layered with artificial turf. Well, that's already happening. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, like, even things like if if turf is a hard thing, like uh, my grandmother, she used um, some crusher dust or, like, a mulch area and just used the pavers to walk through it because in that way it was, like, it was less upkeep. But if you're using, like, mulch just with the walking pavers, at least, you know, you're still going to get worms and things like that. Mm. And, of course, there are lawn alternatives or they'll blend with lawn, things like dichondra and Mm -hmm. lipia Mm -hmm. that are either lawn substitutes or work with lawn, so they still give an appearance of green, but it's not a monoculture environment and that can work very well in trouble spots. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jennifer, tell us, I know you were scheduled to come here. that was going to be my question. (laughs) All right, so... Yeah, sorry to hear that you can't come, uh, but but tell us about the show because, you know, there's a chance that you may come down the track. Yeah, for sure. So Plastic of Fantastica, I was meant to be performing it at Fringe Well, but unfortunately due to the change in borders, us interstate artists can't um, come over now. Um, but the show is about a woman who is addicted to plastic and she finds out she is allergic. So... It's a ridiculous comedy show and it's basically a parody on um, our reliance on single-use plastics. Mm. So when she finds out she's allergic, she can no longer drink water because she doesn't know how to drink without a plastic straw. She goes to the supermarket, but she has to leave her one apple behind because she can't use a plastic produce bag. Mm. So it's just taking to the extremes of um, our reliance and basically our habits as well. And then, um, so she then uh, becomes to the opposite side where she becomes like she loves being plastic free. And then it shows the extremes of that side as well. And it just sort of shows that we need a good balance and a good awareness. So, yeah, I've been doing that show for a couple of years now and I've won some awards and it's been received really well. I do it in schools and for adults. And I also have, we also do other shows as well, a kids show. We actually got asked to come do the kids show in Western Australia in April. So who knows? Uh, ah. you, might, you might get across. So I just yeah. think it's such a clever way of educating people. Uh, it sticks, you know. Um, yeah. They're not going to just sit and watch a performance and walk out and forget about it. There's a message there. And I think it's a great way through humour of uh, keeping it in people's minds. It yeah, works for absolutely. me. Yeah, mm. perhaps... You know, our listening audience, when they're going about their their jobs in the garden, they might stop and think about the plastic they're using. You know, often the the products come in plastic. And I spoke to you about this yesterday, Jennifer, and you said that your mum makes a lot of her own products, so her own fertilisers, compost, etc. Yeah. 
she makes she makes a lot of stuff. Her gardeners, like she even her worm farm is made of an old bathtub and then yeah. she makes a lot of like her weed killers herself. They're all natural. She's called No Waste, No Worries and she's on Facebook. Oh, um, that's a good one. Yeah. And then as far as like if we go inside the house, we make all our own cleaning products. So we make our own the floor scrubs, the toilet scrubs, dishwashing powder, laundry powder, etc. We make all that ourselves and it works out to be cheaper as well. So your mum's been very much a catalyst for everything, Jennifer, and where you are now, I, I would I would assume. Yeah, definitely. She definitely has. The apple does not fall far from the tree, as they say. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, it's been lovely talking to you today and, and hopefully you will get over here later in the year and we'd love to have you on the show if you have time. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure and love your take on educating people. Oh, thank you. Love your take on a gardening chat. I'm going to <laughs> tune in more often. <laughs> well, we have a podcast too, Jennifer. Oh, that's amazing. You'll have to send it through to me. <laughs> I will do. All right, thank you. See everyone. Bye. Take Bye. care. Cheers for now. Delightful young lady, is yes. she not? Yes. yes, yes. And her mum, no waste, no worries. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I like that. But I did start thinking about, you know, a lot of the products we do get in plastic. So, so you much, know, so much. What, what can we do to reduce that? And I thought, oh, we'll buy in bulk. So instead of buying a small container of yeah, controlled release yeah, fertiliser, yeah. you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? You buy the bigger one. Uh six months supply or whatever so that you're not buying lots of little lots ones of so it'll save you money in the long run and you'll yes. only have one piece of plastic and of course yeah. if there's a bucket yeah as compared to a little tub you could use it for say wandering around the garden and taking cuttings of the aroids to bring into the gardening like show like you have today Faye. <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> and there was a question uh also from jim crine and mm. our our dj he was asking me yesterday about what happens you know i think it it people inadvertently may have some of their products or their potting mix or bags of whatever sitting in the sun or partly sitting in the sun for mm. a part of the day. I think we're all guilty of that from time to time. I know I drag everything of mine into my garage and try, but there are times where I walk out and go, oh, God, I left that out on the bench and the sun's been beaming down on it all day. Uh, and products are expensive. And he said to me, does it impact the quality of the product by heat actually drilling into it. And sometimes you go into nurseries and say you go to buy a bag of potting mix, it's all sitting out in the sun. Oh, well, and that's the other thing, Ray. If you're potting up your plants and you've got that bag of potting mix out of the sun and you put these new fresh roots into a bag of hot potting mix, mm, it, can, it burn. can burn their roots. Now, I understand that it's water, that water and temperature yeah. that releases the nutrients, but yeah. I would like to find out more about that and what yeah. might be the expiry of, say, a bucket of slow-release fertiliser. So will Let it last six months if it's in the shed, which is not temperature controlled? Yeah, no, and that's what he asked me about mm. slow-release fertilisers. Well, we know once you utilise them and you put them on your plants and you add water, it's temperature reactive. Mm. I don't know what he's doing in his, you know, when he's sitting in his container in, say, the garage or the storeroom. I have experience where my fertilizers got wet, and you can see that blows up. Yeah, and so therefore it's lost some of its, it's effectiveness. Goodness. But I have shot 
two emails out to people to make it another subject. So, yeah, well, it is a subject. And Mm. I think uh, the little I read yesterday with potting mix, if it is left in the sun, it's it's the it's a perfect recipe for legionnaires as well. Mm. So we need to be Health mindful of these things. But potting mix and, and products like that have a quite a long shelf life, but it's important to store them correctly. And sometimes we don't. We're all guilty of that. Just time and what well, have you. When it's really hot, it's probably a good time to get out, not only clean your tools, but also do a little bit of a strop take in your shed. It's like a pantry, isn't it? It is very much so. You know, what's there that's past its use-by date? Are there products that certainly are or have been in my shed that I will no longer use? Mm. So they they need to go elsewhere, um, be disposed of appropriately. Um, And, yeah, give things a tidy up. It's It's a... time to renew and renovate everything prepare as you have been doing in your break i see i know you've been very busy in your tool shed i have been i've been having a ball now ray we've got some emails to get through too okay we can do a couple before our next break okay so this came from a lady in dawesville and i think her name was jackie if i'm correct when the weather cools she's going to replace her Ratty front lawn with natives. Great so, idea. would like some suggestions as to what to plant. No more than a meter and a half, and colour for as long as possible. Now, in saying that, it could be foliage colour. Yeah, having different textures and colours and forms. Uh, it's south facing and it's indoorsville. Also, should I remove these yucky yuckers? It's been suggested that they could damage the foundations and they are very close to the house. They're not really going to go too much with a native garden, although potentially they could, but they've been overused at the front of the house and certainly um, there's lots of suggestions. I don't like yuckers. Yeah, rip them them out. Well, they're water-wise and they can make a great showpiece mm. in the right place so that's fair right, comment right plant for the right place um they're a bit dime a dozen at the moment they're not really in demand i don't i think. i had several in the house that i moved into and my first uh my first project was to get them mm. out i really wanted them out cost us quite a bit of money to get them out mm. the root system on them and 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 then and even then they hadn't killed they hadn't mm. done it all i had to go in over the top of that and uh well, I see kill. a lot of them put near front doors, and I think, what a terrible plant because they're spiky. They could you could poke an eye out on Easy, them. Easy, yeah. Anyway, I contacted Ben Sims, who's a lovely young man who has a landscape business, and he came back with a whole plethora of suggestions. Uh, in their their different heights, and um, he even suggested some that can be pruned or turned into a topiary like we saw in one of the open gardens last year, and other small trees that can be hard pruned. So bottle brush, there's a couple of um, eucalyptus or gums in here, and the beautiful pin cushion hakea. So if you don't mind a little bit of trimming, then you you can get some really unique styles. But uh, grevilleas and some banksias as ground covers, darwinia, uh, hemiandra, which is a snake bush, and of course many of these things, when they're flowering as well, bring in a lot of our native insects, bees and butterflies, etc. So there's a whole list there that I'll be sending through. Now, time, Ray? Time for a break. Uh, Ellie from Forestville, could you please repeat 
your watering information for uh, succulents. We will do that in just a moment, Ellie. Curtain Radio. Thank you for your company this morning. Our guest has arrived, Ian McGregor from Water Garden Life, also WA Delegate of the Aroid Society of Australia. Good morning, Ian. Thank you for trekking in. Good morning, ladies. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how have you been coping with the heat? Not too bad, thank you. <laughs> Just. Just. Well, well, we don't have too many choices, do we? No. And water gardening. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, that's just on the mark, it's, isn't it? It's been hard to keep water up to things in the last couple of weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, have, what have you been doing? Uh, at this stage, we've been uh, propagating things uh, madly, uh, breeding as many fish as we can. Um, we grow water lilies out there, so that's mm. a, a big thing as well. Uh, so uh, we're just trying to keep the ball rolling and, and deal with the uh, elements as they are at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So you have a wholesale nursery in, not yes. open to the public, no, unfortunately? Yep. Mm. Okay. So here today, we're going to talk about aroids and... I figure that a lot of people may not have heard that term before. So tell tell us what aroids includes. Okay, well, it is an unusual uh, word and not a lot of people have heard about it. But when you start talking about the members of that family, like philodendrons, anthuriums, um, a lot of people would be familiar with those and, uh, and know them yes. very well. A lot of them have been around for a very long time. And, of course, we're seeing more and more uh, on the retail market now uh, with the indoor plant craze. A lot of these plants hit the mark. Where do they come from normally? Most of the ones that you would you would get in the uh, in the nurseries would be tropical in origin. Um, all of the philodendrons and anthuriums are mostly South American, um, but there is uh, quite a lot of uh, of different genera spread across the world. Uh, even Australia's got quite a few unusual um, aroids as well as as native plants. So is that right? Uh, so. Yeah. Are there West Australian native aroids? Um, there is in the Kimberley. Um, okay. There is a couple of different species like Typhoniums and Amorphophallus that are native to the Kimberley. So ah. uh, we do have them. Okay. So these are character, characterised by what features? Um, the big feature that uh, defines them is a spathe and spadix. Um, they're the two major um, parts of the flower. Okay, so a lot of people would go, oh, that's too botanical for me. So most people are familiar with the white flowers on a peace lily. Yeah. And the spathe and the spadix are, the, the spathe is the back, like yep. the shield, yep. the sh and yep. the spadix is the spike that comes that up the centre. That is the, the actual flowers, yes. And that has lots of little flowers. Yes. Some of them could be quite insignificant, yes. Mm. And that's, of course, how they're uh, pollinated as well. Yes. So what pollinates them? In habitat, a lot of these things are pollinated by flies, beetles and wasps. Um, you'd probably uh, see some of the documentaries uh, on certainly with philodendrons attracting uh, bucket loads of beetles into a flower during anthesis. Um, they all go crazy uh, at that point when the plant's receptive and uh, as soon as that period's over, they all disperse and go and find another flower. So what pollinates them here, or does this have to be done specially? Well, uh, it's, it's quite a skill to learn how to pollinate some of these things. It's taken me a long time to get some of these varieties down um, to get good results out of it. Uh, I think the Australian ones would probably be fly and beetle pollinated. Okay. Wow. Okay, we'll come back to you on that. We're in Kundula. Kevin, thanks for calling back. Yeah, good morning. Hi, Hi Kevin. You? 
have a problem with um, gall wasp. I'm, I'm told it's gall wasp on um, lemonade tree and um, orange tree. Right, okay. And how big are your trees, Kevin? Uh, the lemonade tree is only a miniature, so it's only about oh, one and a half metres high. Okay, all right. In a pot, and the orange tree is about four or five metres high. Right, okay. So the the gall wasp appears as swellings in the stems and the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development had been asking people to continue checking their citrus plants, looking for swellings and to remove them if possible by the end of June, I think it was, because the wasp then hatches out and goes on to lay more eggs. So we've probably missed that cycle. But if you can cut off the branches and bag them or solarise them, this is what must be done. Now, for some plants, this is going to mean quite a hard cutback and obviously it wouldn't be ideal in 40-degree in heat. We also did see people saying you could cut cut them back or scrape them with a potato peeler. But if you're going to do that all the way around a stem, it's the equivalent of ring barking it. So your, your fruit production is not going to be mm. good on that stem. You might as well cut it off in my mind. Um, okay. So does that... that is there you... anything that you can spray externally onto it to stop this thing? Or? Um, there was some discussion about putting Vaseline on it and also a clay. clay. I'm not mm. sure what what point your wasps are going to be at now. If you have a look at the swellings, you may find that there are holes there, but in which gone. case they've already gone. Yeah, well, in the orange tree, there's been some holes there. So what are they boring from the outside and that's how they get into the tree? Or how they, the, the wasp lays its egg in the tissue of the stem and as the galls and wasps Hatch. develop... Mm. That swells, and when they hatch, they break out, and that's why there's holes in the stem. So they've left, they've left the building. Elvis has left the okay. building. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, the Vaseline is going to be a, a bit of a problem trying to put around a, a four foot or four meter high orange tree. So, mm. I, I was wondering, was there any sort of spray or anything that you could put on, or not anything else? Not Nothing. to my knowledge. Uh, now I know Darren Senor actually posted a photo of a tree that he had to cut back and the prunings were the equivalent of more than a trailer load of waste and what they had to then do, they couldn't take it away. Um, it were, You can put it through a mulcher or you can solarise it under black, black plastic but that is something that you need to monitor and it probably is going to mean quite a hard cut back with your tree to be doing the right thing. And as a preventative, you can look at nettings going forward. You you could do. Mm. So nettings. once again, yeah. reducing the size of the tree to get it under a net. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Something to keep All in right. mind, Kevin. Not a problem. Thank All you right. very much for your help. You're Thank welcome. You. Thanks for ringing back. And also just touching on Ellie from Forestfield. We were talking about watering information. You were saying that they do yes. better to Bob, be watered in the evening. Bob Hunter said water in the evening because traditionally that is how these plants uh, take up their water in the 
cooler of the night. Okay, very interesting. Mm. Okay, 94841927. And we have Ian McGregor in the studio with us. We are talking about aroids this morning and, of course, taking all your regular gardening questions as always. Thank you for your company. You're with Ray and Faye and our special guest Ian McGregor in the studio with us this morning. We're just going through Faye's bucket of goodies this morning, hence a few seconds of delay uh, getting back back to you on air. And uh, we were just having a look at things and getting a few names from Ian of various cuttings that Faye has brought in, of mm. which there are many. It's very interesting. So I was excited to hear that Ian is the WA delegate of the Aroid Society mm-hmm. and they have their first meeting coming up next week. We've had quite a few meetings. We're, oh, we're a couple of years in old In summer? Now. Oh, well, first meeting of the year? First meeting of the year, yes. Okay. Yep. Um, so we are, we're looking forward to heading down to Mandra to see a wonderful garden um, next Sunday. So uh, Where do you normally have your meetings? What we do is um, the members will put their hand up to host a meeting. Uh-huh. Uh, I've had a couple of them at, at home and at the nursery. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, at our next meeting, we'll be looking for uh, somebody to host the, the following one. Okay. And is that monthly or? We have a, a meeting... We try and have four a year. Four so, a year. Okay, um, that's that's we're, doable. We're not formally structured. We're, we're right. more of a study group for the West Australian branch. Um, there's no committee or presidents or anything oh, like that. Oh, right. So, Good. Uh, we're, I we're like the sound informal. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? And you just it's just you're educating each other. Absolutely. Um, uh, it's, uh, do you bring plants along? We and, do. That's, mm. that's a big part of it, bringing in things that, um, that others may not have seen, yeah. uh, plants that you, you like for whatever reason, mm. um, things that you might be having a challenge growing. Yes. So um, others can help uh, throw yeah. ideas at you to uh, mm. get a bit more success. Hmm. I like the sound of that. And if listeners wanted to get involved, how do they make contact? Um, probably the first port of call would be the Aroid Society of Australia Facebook page. Okay, so that's A-R-O-I-D, Aroid yes. Society of Australia. Get to their Facebook page. And, of course, the meetings that they have, you must be a member. You do. So yes, you do. I, I join straight away. <laughs> of course you I do. can't miss out. All right, we'll talk more about the meetings Shortly. <laughs> okay, we're heading to Shelley. Good morning to Keith. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Trying to stay cool, right? This hot weather. Yeah, explain it. I've got a problem with cats in my garden. I've tried to uh, get some uh, advice either from a garden centre or from uh, veterinary uh, surgery as to how I can keep the cats from using my two uh, smallish bits of garden as a toilet. Yeah. Mm. I didn't know whether there was anything I could spray on the on the soil or anything I can do. Whereas with this hot weather, I mean, they're weeing and pooing everywhere, mm. but I can't seem to catch them doing it. Yeah. Whether it's overnight mm. they're just doing it. But, of course, it doesn't smell very, very no, pleasant. No, it's awful. Front door, you know. Well, Keith, in this day and age, the councils have quite a few rulings about free-range cats, and certainly in some councils, they're just not allowed to be out, and it's frowned upon for for cats to be roaming free and, you know, um, targeting birds, etc. First thing I would do is contact your council and see what the regulations are. Um, yeah, it's it's not right that it's coming to your garden. 
there are products on hardware shelves to deter certain animals and there are herbs. So maybe John out there can do a, a search on herbs or plants that deter cats specifically because um, they don't like the smell so they'll they'll tend to stay away. So in that case you could put some pots around. Um, yeah, <laughs> cactus. I've seen people like with the old-fashioned nap- naphthalene balls or flakes mm. in in stockings hung. They don't like the smell right. of that. I know it's a yeah, it's it, a bad product, it's, but it's I believe it's, it's a carcinogen. So mm. one has to be careful about how it's used. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think you know natural methods are, or dare I say, a super soaker. You know the kids' water pistols. But yeah, you'd have to catch them in the act yeah. for that. Yeah. There are motion sensored uh, things like a impact sprinkler that you can attach to your um, hose, and as something sets off the thing, they'll get a squirt with a sprinkler. Right. Uh, you'll find those in the, the, the pawn shops and aquarium stores. Um, oh, very uh, good, that, Ian. That might be a, an idea, but if you um, leave it on and walk past it, this time of year it'll be okay. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> be quite happy to, mm, to get yeah. so it. The problem, problem there is I've never been able to see him do it. No, it's probably happening yeah, at night. And yeah. you, I find that, well, they go to someone else's property, go to the toilet. Mm. They don't do it on their own. And I know um, when I used to live in Maylands, when I had my little dog, I think when he was just there that that they stayed away because yes. they knew he was there. But, you know, the moment, for example, if I send him up to mum's for a few days or something, the moment that, that he wasn't there, they knew and they'd mm. be in my yard using him. Yeah. Uh, they're very, very clever. They know, know where to go and they seem to go to where it's quiet as well. But... Um, check the council first and sometimes, you know, there will be humane traps that you, if you actually caught it, then they find who the owners are and, you know, that might be a help as well. Yeah, I know in in this particular area, well, I know in um, sort of the Perth area, it's illegal to let your cats out of it after a certain time of night because of the damage they're doing to wildlife. Well, that's, that's right. So the way to do that is to catch the cat, trace it back to the owners and let them know. And then, yeah, I'll leave that there. <laughs> All right, yeah. thanks for your okay. call, Key. Thanks for your Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. All right, now we do have to go to the news in less than 30 seconds. So, Pauline, I'm aware of your call. Uh, we will speak to you on the other side of the news if you can... If you can wait, that would be wonderful. Faye, you wanted to say something? I'll just quickly answer this email that came in from Brian. He thought he'd grown four Satsuma plum trees to about two metres. Uh, Sadly, Brian, I have to tell you that these are not plum trees. They are the weed known as fleabane. Very healthy specimens, I might add. But sorry, you you won't be getting any plums Plums. from them. (laughs) Anytime soon, you might have to make a trip to the supermarket. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, it is nine o'clock, everyone. Very hot and sunny today with a maximum of 40, right now 30.9 degrees. The minimum overnight will be 23. Very hot and sunny tomorrow with a maximum of 38. However, on Monday... Uh, A sigh of huge relief. Minimum overnight will be 18, much better for sleeping. It will be sunny with a maximum of 33 and it is dropping down a little bit further 
on Tuesday and Wednesday to 31s. We look forward to that as gardeners and as human beings, <laughs> mere mortals. <laughs> it's okay. good pool weather, Ray. Pool weather, if you yes. have a pool. We're in Quinns. Hi, Pauline. Oh, good morning to you all. Thanks. Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, look, can I just... I've got some... I'm growing some um, beef tomatoes. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's a bit croaky. Um, beef tomatoes um, in about a 35, 40-centimetre pot, and there's three of them. Uh, but I've had a few problems with them. I'm wondering if you can just give me some advice about it, please. Okay, um, do our best. First, yeah, thank you. First of all, they started, the leaves started curling in um, all over the bush. Um, they've been in very good potting mix, plenty of really good food, the black marble, another tomato one, etc., and watered well. Um, so that started happening. Then they started getting a little bit, although not a lot, of blossom endrot. Um, and... Um, I was told that that was a calcium deficiency. So I've gone and got myself some dolomite lime, but I haven't applied it as yet because I wasn't too sure. Um, it didn't say on the packet, I believe, my husband said. So I want to know what application, uh, the quantity, as well as how often. And then further to that, what's happened this last Tuesday, we had to go away for a very early appointment uh, to a doctor's appointment, and they got burnt to bleo. Mm. As the leaves uh, burned everywhere, they've been terrific little bearers. Uh, not not really big tomatoes, uh, which I'm surprised about, given that the variety is supposed to be big. But I'm imagining that's because they're in pots where they perhaps should be in the ground. Unfortunately, I don't have a spot, and just I'm just wondering now. Uh, Two things, and the other thing that's happening with them, I've noticed there's some little tiny little holes over there. Something's either got in and stung, and I haven't cut it up. It doesn't look like fruit fly. It looks like a real hard little pinhole, and I'm just wondering if that is something that's stung it or a grub, and what should I use to stop that happening? And also, should I, with all these leaves that are all dead, should I cut them off? And will will the plant come back? Pauline, it it just sounds like it shouldn't be that hard, should it? Um, no. When you're growing in pots, you're you're a bit limited, or the plant is limited to what you give it and what it can hold on to. And we we're in the extremes of heat, so I'm not surprised that that many things are struggling and the fruit is small, and the leaves are also struggling. Now, without seeing a photo, I can't tell what your pest might be or even if your plant might have a disease or a virus. Um, as to whether it will come back, well, I'm, I'm sure it will, but I would be checking what's going on in the pot. Is the soil drying out at all? And if, if it's in a terracotta pot, for example, which is quite porous, it can be drying out on the edges and therefore the edges of the tomato roots would possibly be burning, you know, all these factors. Now, if you think about hydroponic tomatoes, they're grown in water um, and nutrients, so they, they're not without anything and the leaves will stay wonderful, doesn't matter really how hot it is, and provided the right nutrient balance is there, they'll flower and fruit. Um 
So whether you would persevere with what you've got or whether you might just buy some new plants and, and start again. We're going to have quite a few weeks of warm weather still to come. Mm. So you might have a, a better chance if you started with new plants. Yeah. Can I just ask, with the dolomite lime, if I wonder what, what rate of application should I apply and how often if I needed to do that? And they're in plastic pots. All right. Not, I, okay. We don't keep yep. them out in full sun. Okay. The sun got under it, if you know what I mean, you know, to, to spot that we had them. Yeah. Um, I'll get John to look this up because I don't know. Ian, do you I'd know? I probably about... think about a tablespoon per square metre. Tablespoon. So no more than a tablespoon in the pot. However, if you've used a good quality potting mix, you shouldn't need that. What I would maybe recommend would be a liquid nutrient, uh, something for flowering and fruiting plants with lots of trace elements. And... You know, it may just be that variety of tomato because that, that potting mix should have everything it needs. Yeah, we, we did put excellent potting mix in. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was the top one, yeah. Definitely. And it hasn't dried out. Only that one day where, as I said, we had to go away. But other than that, no, it's been well fed uh, with black marble and another tomato food, well watered. It, and it's looked healthy apart from this curling in with the leaf that's mm. where it's knotted. I'm assuming it just doesn't like uh, being in pots with that particular variety. Uh, oh, and, and 40 degrees. Yes, that's right, yeah. Okay, okay and so Ian's also saying spider mite, and actually we yeah. have had another... Um, yeah, so like the photo would would help us tell what yeah. the problem might be but spider mite could be a problem could, could be chili thrip you know if that's in your area there's a few things that that it could be but without a photo i couldn't tell you sorry get out there with a magnifying glass and see what else you can see okay well thank you for your time you're welcome pauline thanks pauline cheers for that Bye. Bye. And because she was saying that the fruit had been stung as well wasn't mm. she yes yeah. which tells us there, there's a pest, yeah. Uh, but also the leaves were curling, so mm. you know they're prone to many viruses. Mm. And then on top of it, forty three degrees, yeah. You know, like nothing. There's a lot of designed to there. survive in that. Mm. And Sue from Forestfield phoned in, and she suggests undiluted citronella oil to keep animals out of the garden. Yes, yeah, they don't like the. Smell. John also said ground pepper can no, act no, as a deterrent. Pepper or ground. Coffee granules. Ground, ground pepper, coffee grounds, coffee and grounds. citrus peel. Citrus peel. Yeah, we've heard that before. They don't mm. like the citrus peel. So I'm still waiting on plants <laughs> that, that could be planted. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, would you like to win a $75 gift voucher? Oh, yes. I would. I would. <laughs> Gee, uh, it wouldn't stay too long in my pocket. If okay. I have a voucher, it burns a hole in my pocket. I've got a particularly if it's a nursery voucher. Mm. I'm there, man. All right. You could win one, if you like, from Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. Now, you must be a Curtin FM member. Quote your number to Bev when you call in and not to have won a prize in the last 28 days on Curtin Radio. And, of course, Bigger Trees specialise in frangipani and ornamental trees. And, of course, it's frangy time right now. And you can see a fabulous array of colour. 
at bigger trees and they do stock the rarer, harder to find varieties too, which is always a little bit exciting and interesting. And they do little plants, big plants, there's everything at Bigger Trees and you do need to check out their website, biggertrees.com.au and you can find a lot of info out on their Facebook page too, lots of great pictures and get a bit of an idea. And if you like crepe myrtles, which I think most of us do, they've got the diamonds in the dark crepe myrtle in stock at the moment and they are gorgeous because the leaves are virtually black and then when they flower, depending on which variety you buy, you could have these gorgeous contrasting flowers. I've got one in my garden and it's a showstopper, absolute showstopper. And I know Kerry's got some of those up there at the moment to have a look at. Now, here is your question. Rosolio is made from rose petals. If you were given some, what would you do with it? Rosolio, R-O-S-O-L-I-O, is made from rose petals. If you were given some, what would you do with it? <laughs> Give Bev a call now and we could be sending you a $75 gift voucher. Compliments to carry up at Bigger Trees in Pickering Brook. And also we like to know what you do with your vouchers out there, listeners. Do come back to us and let us know what you got. She's very generous, is Kerry, isn't she? She's been doing this for quite some months. Well, it's a fairly new nursery and it's going really well. It's, you know, it's going in taking off in leaps and bounds and as people are becoming more and more aware of it. And it's a nice drive just going that direction up in the hills mm. and it's there's a bit cafes. touristy up there. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. And it's not far. It's not far at all. It's not a great um, place for a Sunday drive. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So we dream. Now back to you, Ian. Tell us what goes on at the the meetings of the Aroid Society. Um, like I said, we try and hold a fairly informal meeting. Um, there will be a, a talk or two given by myself uh, on a topic. Um, we'll also have a, uh, an open forum where we can talk about things like propagating or you know, overwintering, um, things like that. Um, we'll have a raffle where members will bring in a plant, um, pop it on the table and receive a ticket. Um, One or You can more? bring in multiples. Oh. So if you bring in three plants, you'll get yourself three tickets. Oh. Um, all the plants will go on the table and the tickets are drawn out like a raffle and you can go and pick out a plant off the table. So for <laughs> new members, uh, what sort of value... Of the plant, and you know, some members that are just starting maybe haven't been propagating. Absolutely, absolutely. So they don't bring a plant; they don't. Well, they can bring get... they can bring cuttings and things like that. We'd prefer an aroid, but it, we're not going to be crazy okay. about that sort of stuff. Mm. We would prefer the participation than uh, than not. Um, and it, it's a case where um, people can change up from from common garden plants to something that's a little bit more exciting and a little mm. bit rarer. Um, so we try and cater for that so that uh, new members can take home more interesting plants and, uh, and build their collections. Mm-hmm. Sounds wonderful. Question for you. You were talking earlier about um, how some of these plants are pollinated with flies and beetles. And What about indoor, when they're indoor? Indoor, in most cases, they need to be pollinated by their owners. Um, if the insects don't have access to them, they will still flower, mm. but they won't set any seeds. 
Mm. Um, so certainly with the philodendrons I'm playing with, uh, I have to be ready at about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night time um, to catch these things at anthesis. Uh, anthesis can be very short for plants like philodendrons. So can you explain that <laughs> to, okay. to we mere uh, mortals out there? <laughs> a philodendron flower is, uh, is female on the first night and male on the second. Of course and, it is. <laughs> and, and come the third night, all the action's over. Um, so you need to be able to recognise um, those points. Uh, what are we looking for? <laughs> um, well, firstly, with, with let's take if we're speaking about philodendrons, the spathe has to be open, and they'll only do mm. that at anthesis. Um, and uh, like I said, you've got it's only it's only going on for two nights. Yeah. So you need to have pollen stored prior because they're female on the first night and a male on the second. So you collect pollen on the first night? Yes. So what, uh, pastry brush? Uh, so what I've been doing is uh, collecting pollen. So the, the first flower that, that flowers in my collection, I'll, um, I'll miss the female phase, but I'll catch it at the male phase, collect all the pollen on a, on a sheet of aluminium foil and freeze it. And um, I uh, have uh. done that this year and had fantastic success using frozen pollen. Um, so mm. from from one male flower early in the season, I've been able to pollinate all the f- subsequent flowers, and and had fantastic success. Uh, it's interesting to uh, oh. think that they can do that. Oh, I can't wait for this meeting, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about propagation in a little while too. <laughs> all right, we're in Westminster, Olga. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, love. Yeah, good. good. Yeah. How, How can we all? help you? Oh, well, I don't know whether you can help me, but I'm sure you will be able to give me some advice. What's happened is my avocado tree, my mango tree, my lemon tree, all the fruits have dropped off and there's all stems left only. No leaves, nothing, and the fruits are all gone, all dried up. Okay. So can you tell me what's gone wrong? I suspect it might be the the temperature and... Uh, either lack of water or some some other catastrophic event. Oh, I would dear. need a little bit of history. Have you given it any fertiliser? What is the watering regime like? Watering is almost every day, but I've never put any fertiliser. But my lemon tree used to give me so much a lemon, and suddenly it just went bang, and everything's gone. Something but something's again, very sorry. wrong, Olga. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can I say something? There's one thing that I'm thinking of. I've got like two, three ducks in my backyard and they all seem to be going around the lemon tree and digging into the sand. And every time I water it, they seem to be coming back. And I mean, is that the cause of it? Well, ducks love water. And the minute you you Put run a hose, <laughs> they, they'll be digging because they'll be looking for the bugs in the puddles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, that can interfere with the roots. So also, if ducks are in that area, the soil oh. is possibly compacted, which could be another factor. If you're watering every day and if you're watering yeah. a lot and the soil is yeah. compacted, uh, no, they, they could be waterlogged. No, they're not, they're not compacted, no. So it's they're not compacted. They're no. not waterlogged, no. but they've lost all their leaves and fruit. Yeah. So are they dead? Well, I think it won't be long. <laughs> yeah. Obviously stressed. Obviously. Mm, so obviously. Yes. That's yeah. stress related. I, 
I I really had a loss. Yeah, at, yeah. I don't have enough information to determine what's wrong. I mean, it did it happen suddenly, or it's been happening yeah, over a period of time? No, no, no. Suddenly, just from last month, sort of thing. Are you able to send us some photos, Olga? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. No. It it maybe is because of the hot weather mm. and they're yeah, not yeah. obviously getting enough of what they need or something's happened, something's been poured on the soil, they've been poisoned, um, trees don't suddenly lose their, their leaves for no reason. No. Um, mm. So you really need to investigate or think back at what has happened to cause it. Yeah. Oh, it's very sad. Yeah. And the, same with the avocado, is it? Well, quite possibly. Oh, dear. Mm. They're all black and falling off, you know? I just don't know what's happened. Mm, there's something wrong in my area. Someone's poisoned my trees or what? <laughs> you could also, you know, I'm just trying to think of something that might help. Take take a, a sample to the local nursery or get your soil tested. Um, mm. Maybe that might Needs help. to be investigated, mm. yeah. Professional job. Yeah, yeah, it is a professional okay. job. Yeah. Thanks, oh, Olga. Okay. Oh, right. okay. Sorry, Thank love. You. Yeah. 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 Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers Bye. for that. 94841927. We have a winner for our competition. Thank you, Julie, for playing with us. And the question was, Rosolio is made from rose petals. If you were given some, what would you do with it? It is an Italian liqueur, so oh, you would drink it. Right. I didn't, well, I think you could probably put it on as a, a little dab under yeah. your ear. Yeah, so Julie, a, a voucher will be on its way to you this week uh, in the mail. Thank you very, very much. Uh, compliments of Bigger Trees in Pickering. Brooke, enjoy. All right, now we do have some more uh, questions coming through. We wanted to talk about propagation. What do you want me to do? I've got to go to an ad break as well. We'll come back shortly. Okay. Four minutes past nine. You're tuned to Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Special guest in the studio, Ian McGregor, WA delegate for the Aroid Society and also from Water Garden Life as well. And uh, we're talking about all our favourite indoor plants, our philodendrons. Some, obviously, they can survive outdoors in the right positions as well. But syngonians, anthuriums, and arum lilies, and spathfilums, and how do you say Diffenbachia? You got it right. First I got time. it right. Okay, and I love these ones, the aglonema. Yeah, I have yes. one growing on my dining room table. And some of the colours on those are amazing. Pink. Yeah, absolutely, so pretty. So, yeah, I've got all of those on that list. <laughs> but they they can be very tough plants, can't they? they can. Yeah, they growing can. out under the canopy of a tree, absolutely. growing up a tree, absolutely, yeah. and watered only a couple of times a week. Uh, I know of a case where uh, there's a philodendron near our work where the house was destroyed years ago and the philodendron is powering along mm. with no help from anybody. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's head to the lines. Oh, we're talking about fried plants. Rosemary, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And now what I would like to know is... Um, do I just give them a bit of a tonic and but and don't cut the leaves off because that just leaves them too bare, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. What sort of plants are you talking about, Rosemary? Well, I've got a crepe myrtle there that's that's not looking too wonderful. It, it didn't flower this year for some reason, 
And also out the back, I've got a, a, a couple of uh, plants. I don't know the name of them. I'm not sure. And they're not looking too healthy either. But I water them regularly. But, um, oh, you know, you can't blame the plants because, I mean, we've had such horrific weather. Mm. It's been very yeah. warm and very dry. So all all that you can do... Um, is ensure that your soil prep is as good as it can be. You could add some compost and clay to help boost your sand, mulch over the top. I wouldn't cut back now because at least what is there is providing a bit of an umbrella for what's underneath. As you say, the water at the right time of the day. And, you know, even with, you know, a week from now with some cooler nights, they start to perk up pretty quickly, I think. And then... I might, yeah, I might get some little shoots coming out, you know, mm. underneath the dead leaves. But also, too, I'd like to ask you: Have you, have you had an update on whether they're going to change the bore laws? Uh, we will be hopefully speaking to the Water Corp next week. The pro, um, the decisions have has been proposed, mm-hmm. and it's open for feedback until the end of February, I believe. So it it's up to everyone to give their feedback. And what have, what have they decided? Well, we they haven't decided. Yeah. They have proposed the changes. So it's up to us as gardeners and members of the community to provide our feedback and reasons for, to plead our case. Well, should, yeah, well, we shouldn't be changing them. Yeah. yeah. My, yeah. my actual thoughts on this are that... There should be a little bit more time. I'd like to see uh, a longer lead time for people to plan. You know, we've been receiving emails from people. One lady put down a bore. She spent thousands of dollars. Yeah, one of our listeners, um, yeah. She has a new garden. You yeah. know, we're all trying to do the right thing and we will not all agree on the same thing. From a gardening perspective, I love to see the diversity of plants across the board. I think we can all do better to save and manage our water. I think it's very important to do that. But I think we need time. And I think there's no hard and fast rule for everybody. I think, you know, three days a week, when it's 43 degrees, is, is a fair thing. You know, November, two was probably fine. Uh, winter, turn them off. You know, we can all yeah. do that. But... You know, I saw people on Facebook this week putting up misters for people sitting around a patio. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, why why should they be able to have water on if we can't water our gardens? Will we all put well, on misters right. and then, I know what I'll be doing, putting plants under it all, you mm-hmm. know, because that is legal. Um, you know, there will be people cheating the system. Bore yeah. water is a different kettle of fish to drinking water. Uh, where does our water go? You know, I don't think putting in rainwater tanks is the answer because if everyone's collecting a bucket load of water and it's not going to recharge the aquifers, that's not a solution. Yeah, um, but also too, last year we we had quite a wet winter and we did. I didn't put my bore on at all till at least the middle of October. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so can we? Yeah. Can we? Yeah, go on, sorry. Can we save water to, you know, use it later because we were we were good, we were doing the best practice management, you know, we as gardeners, don't we want to also choose what day of the week we water? 
You know, just yeah. because it's Sunday, if it's windy and cool, I'd rather save my watering day till Monday when, you need when it. it's hot mm, and mm. when the plants need it. Mm. Yeah. So are they thinking about putting a meter on it or something? Well, that's that's might be the next thing. That might be, I don't know. I don't know. And that's why we're yeah. going to talk to the A lot more info water, to come, talk. Rosemary. We've got questions mm. to ask. I'm yeah. happy to take, you know, we talked about it last year before Christmas. I made a list yeah. of things we want to know, uh, but it's up to all of us to, to provide them with feedback, let them know we have an opinion and, yes. and get them to do what we want. But the bottom line yeah. is we have limited resources. Our population is growing exponentially. We have to use water wisely. Yeah, well, that's right. But we've been on restrictions for years. And, I mean, you talk to people over in the eastern states and they say, oh, you've got your water restrictions. We said, yeah, we're only allowed to water twice a, a week or a one day extra if you've got a ball. Well, yeah, it's, you know, we've we've got sources of water and yes. we we have to work with that. Yeah, so that's right. we're that's... going to talk more about this, Rosemary. It's yeah. it's not over yet, but everyone needs to voice their opinion. Oh well, that's good. Oh well, let's hope that we have a bit of uh, influence and we can they can take it on. That you know, come on, we've as you say, you, you pay a fortune to get a bore put in, and um, uh, you know you really want to be able to use it the way you want it, but you realise that uh, we do have to. Preserve water, conserve it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Rosemary. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Cheers for that. Let's go to Warnborough. We're talking about citrus trees. Ray, good morning. Uh, good morning, girls. How are you? Hi. Good. good thanks, Ray. Uh, your advice is you're as good looking as your advice, you two girls. It really oh. is. Uh, <laughs> Faces for radio. Yeah, well, how do you exactly. know that, Ray? <laughs> I've seen you both. No, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> the lady, the lady with the lemon tree. I had the same trouble with my lemon tree and avocado. Oh, okay. Losing all the leaves, everything else, and I got some Epsom salts and put it on two teaspoons per litre, sprinkled around the root root drip line, and there was green as and fruit everywhere. And the magnesium. The, so the yeah, leaves. Magnesium in it. Yep. Just they're perked up. They're green. The, my uh, chili plants like gone berserk. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Why why would you use Epsom salts and not a complete fertilizer? Well, I did. I use sea salt as well. Okay. And and uh, the Epsom is just lacking, and that's that's just what it needed. I've done it twice now, and maybe one more time, and I think it'll be I think it'll be right. Right. You okay. made up your own brew. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And kept and on top of the water. On, on, yes. Yep. And then you can actually make it into a a spray as well to put on the leaves. I haven't done that. I just done it on the drip line, you know, um, and it seems to have worked. And what sort of what's your base like? So you're in Warnborough. Um, yeah, sandy, dry sandy. It sucks the water like a sponge. Yes. <laughs> and know? have you mulched? Yes. Yep. Yep. Well, it sounds like you know what you're doing, Ray. That's good to hear. Oh, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one other thing on the watering. Yes. You know, if if you've got a bore, I mean, I see it as you're recycling the water. You're sucking the water out of the ground. It's going back in the ground. It's getting filtered. So it's it's, it's not wasting it. The, the wasters are the counters. Where you go, I go to work in the morning. 
and all their sprinklers are pointing on the road. That's right. You know, and you're just thinking, what's the point of having them on? And there's a lot of issues yeah, right. underground with broken yeah. pipes and so on and this, so on, right? This Ray. is it, right? Yeah, you you know? Know? It's very you contentious. Yeah, you report that to the council. I've done it numerous times. And three weeks later, it still hasn't been true. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a joke. Yeah, I think the majority of the people do the right thing. Yes. The big companies don't do it. So, yeah. anyway, have you, we don't lose. Have you given your feedback? No, where, where, where do you do that? You do All that right. online, do you? We will post a link um, yeah. on the Curtain Radio Facebook page. I will do a, a separate uh, post for this in the next week because next week we hope to be talking to the Water Corp. Yeah. Good. Around yeah. this subject, and and yep. hopefully we'll have someone in the studio to take calls. Oh, I, don't, I don't want it to be controversial. If people have got no, a question, yeah, it would be sense. great if yeah. they sent it through so that we could ask the questions and get the answers for our listeners because, yep. you know, idea. this could go round yeah. in circles. And, you know, yep. I want everyone to come here, turn on the radio and, you know, hear positive Happy news. days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm with you. Yep, that's a good idea. All good right. Idea. Thanks for, yes. Yep. Thanks, Ray. All right. Keep up the good work. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Cheers for that. And now we're heading to Stoneville, beautiful part oh. of the world. Dale, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Good, thanks, Dale. Thank how are you? Yeah, great. Um, I just got an Estephanotis beautiful plant in flower and hanging off it is two pods. And one of the pods is opened up and all this white um, mm-hmm. fluffy stuff in it. Mm. That, that's your what seeds. That? Yeah, but can does that produce another plant? It'll produce lots of other plants. Well, it really. <laughs> if you if you put it in a bed of its own, you know, a pot or a tray, and yeah. um, I'm not sure what the the best time is. Probably might even be now, but I could look into that now. Ian's nodding. Um, they grow very easily, and you can make lots of new plants. Out of the fluffy stuff, I haven't investigated the pot. It's just so beautiful. I took a photo of it. It's just amazing. Yes, They're well, big, huh? next to mm. all those little fluffy things will be a tiny mm. seed. And this is the wonderful thing about um, seed dispersal. So this is set up for wind dispersal. So a puff of wind or a breeze comes along and they're so light and fluffy, the wind picks them up and carries them and then they settle elsewhere and that's how things Voila. turn up in your garden. Mm. Oh, beautiful. Isn't it amazing? Nature yes. is amazing when we take the time to acknowledge yeah. all those little things, the miracles Beautiful. that are in everyday life. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I thank you for your knowledge. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, Dale. You okay. take care. My stipiliates did that recently, actually. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah lots and, and lots. And they grow so easily from Don't seed. they just? Don't yes. they just? And they're very resilient. We're in Dianella. Mark, good morning. Oh, good morning. How are you? Good. Good, thank you. Thanks, Mark. What are you up to? (laughs) I've just been out checking out my tomatoes and a lot of blossom end rot. Mm. Now, when I set them all up, I made sure, you know, all the soil's good, all all green life, from green life soil stuff, and, um, you know, put the gypsum in, you know, build up the calcium but because we've had so many hot days Mm. and you water all the time is it possible that because of all that water all those nutrients the the good ones are 
being washed away a bit and I've got to actually be putting more and more on instead of every, you know, yeah. With, four, five, six Now weeks. that we've had two calls on That's Blossom not, and yeah. Rot, yeah. I reckon I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board and I'm going to have to drill down and do a bit more study and homework on how nutrients are exchanged. You know, you've got cation exchange and what happens sometimes calcium can be bound up in the soil and, you know, different things will release it. So I would like to come back with with more information next week about blossom and rot and um, magnesium deficiency and why, you know, this happens. Because for two people using different mixes to be having the same thing, is it the variety of tomato? Why is it um, happening now? Is it temperature related, uh, pH related? Well, it's not all the tomatoes on each plant. It's only some of them. Mm. (laughs) Some Mm. of them are fantastic and and some of them have blossom in rot. Um, Yeah. And um, you know, in, in my also, research, it talks about inconsistent watering. I doubt that's the reason, Mark. No, but, no, well, but they the get, thing they is, get watered every morning because of the heat. But the thing is, the plant is not a machine. Or no. if it was a machine, it can only if it was a car, it can only do so many revs. When it's forty-three yeah. degrees, I know. Quite you know, right. it its transport system just. Shuts isn't down. functioning That's right. We shut on down. all mm. cylinders. So therefore, yeah. you know, something is compromised yeah. and that might be the yeah. weak link. Yeah. 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 Look, but we, next we, week I'd... I'll come back to it, Mark, with you know, some more uh, solid research. Yeah, because I didn't know whether I, was, I should just put some more gypsum around the plants at the moment or I've got the um, the rock dust. Hmm. Green life. Well, rock dust more is more than just the calcium. Yeah, it's it's slow release. Um, so if yes, yeah, so I need you, something a bit quick. Yeah, I would be thinking a liquid. Uh, but but as to you know, right across the board, I tend to if I'm growing in pots, use a premium potting mix. I will also add some more controlled release fertilizer, and because they're fruiting plants, they will get a variety of liquid feeds, little and often, to keep them going. Yeah, well, the, mine are all in beds, mm-hmm. and I just rotate. I do. I've got the fish emulsion. I've got the seaweed. I've got the, um, oh, what's the other thing? Um, the fish emulsion, the seaweed. I buy this other stuff called um, vegetable focus. Okay, um, yes. And oh. yeah, you would so they're you throwing would think, everything at yeah. them. Mark. And so do you give them a bit and, of shade get, too? They get that each. They get that each week. You know, mm. are they protected One a little bit from the sun, Mark? Oh, mate, they have got no protection at all. Clouds is it? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, Some there's not too many of be... them around at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think yeah, I don't think you can do any more. Quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, some of the tomatoes are unaffected and some are affected. You know, it's a bit strange. Mm. And then I've had issues with fruit fly on one of them. And so I've just done all the baits around each tomato bed. Okay. And I'm just hoping that's not going to attract fruit fly. (laughs) Um, 
No, it should, yeah. it should trap them and kill them. But I will look into this more during the week and follow up next weekend, Mark. Okay? All right, excellent. All Thank right, you. thanks for Cheers. your call. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye. All right, back in a moment. Okay, our, our apologies. <laughs> we are here. Talking about black cardinals, we they were. were to, I was talking about that, actually, absolutely. Uh, Russell of Ridgewood phoned in and said, in regard to the Stephanotis seed, he advises that the seeds need to be pulled off the ferry bits as the ferry bits cause the seeds to rot. So you've got to separate the seed in the pod, keep the ferry bit well, away. Well, they do, if you, if you keep them for a while, often they do separate. The fluffy bits come away. Fly away. And then the seed sort of sinks to the bottom of the container. And mm. if you breathe, the fluffy bits will fly all around the yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. But th- thank you, Russell. We appreciate that. Uh, we're heading to Woodvale. Brett, good morning. Hi, Brett. Good morning. How are you? Very good, thank you. Uh, I've, I've been, on, been, on, been on here a few times. Now, I'm at my mother's place in Woodvale. She's got a climbing rose. It gets a lot of sunlight, but it's never flowered. Ah. Does it get pruned? Very lightly pruned. It's got a lot of um, antennas floating up the, the sides and so forth, as though it's, um, it wants to keep climbing and climbing and climbing. But it, every now and then I might break a bit off accidentally trying to, to um, tie it up, but uh, it's flowered once. And that's and has never flowered since. Okay, uh, if it's getting plenty of sunlight, then climbing roses. If you train them horizontally, they will. Yeah, well, yeah. They should send out send shoots up from the node, which will flower. Yeah, the um, the ba- the base is in the ground. I've got a trellis from the ground to the the top of the old to the six fence capping. And we've got it trained up that way. Right. And it, gets, it sends out a lot of feelers regardless. Yep. And I got, this, got the plant from Bunning for about four bucks. Okay. So. Right. So what I want you to do is take some of the canes that are going up yeah. and, and tie them sideways. Okay, sideways. Okay. Because your horizontal branches will flower from there. Okay, all right. So mm. basically, they're they're going too tall. They're supposed to be going horizontal. And that, and that's what a a climbing rose will do. It'll go for gold. It wants to get up and up and up, and then yeah. it ten, it will likely not find anything else to hang off. It'll probably go over the neighbor's fence, and it will hang down. And from that, it will produce flowers. But you want it on your side. So anything that you can train horizontally will, in time, push out flowers. Okay. What do you actually give the rose? We've got lupin down underneath it, and we've given it the low, the slow-release uh, fertilizer as well, and, it, and it's actually got a, a dripping system. Um, when the water comes on, it gets plenty of water. So it's got really rich soil, um, slow-release uh, rose plant food, um, camellia mix or whatever like such. Okay. Uh, that, that, that all sounds good. Um, it, it doesn't sound like it's hungry. It doesn't sound like it's unhealthy. It just sounds like it hasn't got to the stage where it's ready to flower and the conditions of its branches are, are not quite right. I think it yeah. will happen. Try not to prune the top of it because what we want to do now is allow it to flower when it's ready 
get okay. a photo of the flower. We can identify what it is. Okay. And, you know, if it's one of the older heritage varieties, they have different rules. So the, the flower is going to be important so that we can identify it, learn more about it, know when to prune it and how to treat it. Okay, when it, when it flowers, I will take a photograph and I'll send it to you girls. Lovely. So, Thanks, Brett. Brett, can I just ask you what variety it is? What, it, what it's called? Uh, it's a floribundan of some sort, but uh, floribundan of some sort, but that's about it. Never had a tag on it. And you bought it for four bucks? Yeah. Bunnings always drowns their plants and then they put it out on um, special. Because hmm. I wonder about the rootstock of it. Mm. Yeah. But it'll probably still flower. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's strange because it flowered once, but since it, since then it hasn't flowered again. Because mm. it's a very pale pink. Like I say, it's got four on, on one stem. It had like four little pink flowers on it, very pale pink flowers on it. Mm. Nice. That's about all. Right. all. I've I never look, seen a flower since. I look forward to getting a, fo- a photo. <laughs> I look forward to seeing <laughs> the, the flowers. Yep. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Thanks Brett. Brett. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. And we have another tomato question. Doreen, good morning. Good morning. You're talking about blossom end rot. Yes. We used to put superphosphate on our tomato plants. And I don't know whether you can buy superphosphate in small bags now. Well, Ian is nodding his head. I don't know about small bags. Small bags, you can, you can still buy it. Well, they still buy it. They're available like farm supplies yes. in large quantities. It's not something we see on the hardware shelves. No. Mm. But yes, I, I believe so, Doreen. And that was but, what a lot of the farmers used. And yes, still do. Yes. And still but do. I don't know what the makeup of the um, fertilizer was. Well, it would have all its trace elements and a range of uh, would have all the macronutrients and a range of trace elements. But well, I can look at that ready for next week's talk about tomatoes and blo- blossom end rot and fertilizers and all sorts of things. Maybe it's trace elements that people need to use. Mm. All right, quite Thanks possible. For your call, Doreen. Many. Many thanks. Bye. Like I know, we appreciate you. Take care, love. Thank okay. you. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye. Okay, back shortly. Radio. Okay, you are with Ray and Faye and our special guest, Ian McGregor from Wattle Garden Life and also the Aroid Society of Australia. I'm going to talk a little bit about propagating. Making more plants. Making more plants. One of my plants. favourite habits. So Ian, philodendrons and their family are one of the easiest to propagate in my experience. So you do some from seed and and develop new varieties, but what about for new gardeners who've got oh, they might have a a scraggly syngonium Mm -hmm, or a mm -hmm. philodendron that's climbing up a tree or a pothos. Very, very easy. All those groups you've just described, very easy to do. Um, In my experience, um, I would... uh, um, try and protect where you've cut it and uh, I like to use um, Mancozeban sulphur you can dip the cut into that and uh, blow off the excess dust that sort of cauterizes the cut and stops any uh, um, rot coming in secondary um, 
also letting them callous like succulent cuttings is a good idea. Um, you certainly need to keep them cool and out of the sun and even misting them with a spray bottle while you're waiting for that process to take place helps. So how long would you leave, say, these cuttings that a, I've cut A day cut or three. Morning. A day or three. It wouldn't be very long. They'll callous very quickly. So will you re-cut them? No. No? no. So, so it's that callus that you're trying to protect that's stopping the plant from um, picking up a secondary rot infection. So this one here I've cut quite a way below the growth point mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. there's yes. roots going to shoot from. Yep. You wouldn't cut that again to tidy um, it up? I would probably give that a straight cut instead of a 45 cut because yes. you want to reduce that um, that area to be infected. And by uh, doing those sort of things, you're stopping that that point where infection can get in there and cause rot. Right. And then what do you put them into? There's all sorts of different ways you can do it. I've seen people put them in water and let them grow roots and pot them on once they've done that. Mm. Uh, Perlite, vermiculite, clay, lecker clay, um, all of those inert substances are all very good because they don't support fungus either. Mm. Um, And once the plant has started to show active growth, then you can uh, upgrade it to a potting mix or plant it out. Um, so it's just getting it on its own two feet, and once you've done that, the the hurdle's over. So fungus is an issue, obviously. The, the rot is an issue, okay. and the, probably the other thing that I would think is important is um, uh, a lot of tropical plants don't like this sort of treatment in winter. This time of year, during the warmer months, you can cut and chop, and and you could chop those down into quite small cuttings with a as long as they've got a growth node on each of them, you'd probably have success. A growth node. So when so, you say yeah, at the base of every leaf is a bud. So if you were to cut that leader off this cutting, the following bud at, uh, at the base of the next leaf will initiate and start to grow. Um, and um, for a stem like you've got here on the table, I can see at least three plants that you could salvage mm. out of that. So tell us about the variegated monstera. Um, <laughs> it's something that's uh, it's been very, very popular right now, um, and they are very, very old. Most of them, um, certainly the, the white monsteras are nearly 100 years old. Wow. They've been in cultivation for a very long time. Um, I've also got the uh, the aurea, the yellow one. Um, yeah. I received that as a as a gift from a, a little old lady twenty years ago. Um, so they've been around for a long time, and it's it's amazing how all of a sudden fashions come around and um, they're very very popular. Mm. My or oh, how's your monstera ray? Your variegated monstera? Yeah, yeah, it's going well. Well, my my mother plant is only about a meter tall, mm. and. I think I was too generous cutting three cuttings off and giving them away because the plant has actually suffered yes. and it, it doesn't look... Yes. Oh, it looks okay, but it doesn't have the beautiful variegations that Ray and Allison and Daniels yes. have all got. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> some, of, some of them, the variegation okay. can be quite unstable. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, what we'd be looking for is a well-marked leaf. Um, if the subsequent leaf was green or poorly marked... You'd almost cut that lead off and let the bud that's at the base of that well-marked leaf swell up and, and initiate. And um, you can usually um, manage variegation by chopping out the green bits yeah. and encouraging the, the better variegation to grow. With my variegated monstera, if it throws out a green leaf, which it does, I remove it. Yeah. If you were to plant that and, 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 and grow it on, would it be variegated or it will always be green? There's a, a very low chance of it being variegated. Low I have chance. seen I have seen them do it. 
Um, but if you've got two or three green leaves on the trot, um, I'd, I'd can that cutting. And, and my uh, mine is throwing out the flowers, the big, yes. yeah, lots of those at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Why so 7.30 at night, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out the I go. Mail. Get the mail pollen first, put it in the freezer, wait for the next flower. Monsteras are a little bit different. They've oh. got a different pollinating strategy. <laughs> so uh, what do I do? Because they say it's, they stay quite tight. They do. And and uh, female anthesis in monsteras is not obvious. Oh. Um, you'd have to keep a pretty close eye on it and, and look for the... the, the sticky glossy nectar in between the scales so it's not obvious to be seen Um, and when they release pollen they don't do it like philodendrons do they're they're quite shy with their pollen Um, but if you had a a paintbrush and you could catch two plants at the right time they can certainly be pollinated do you provide pollination services no I don't no so Ray (laughs) couldn't bring her plant to you unfortunately (laughs) Ray could bring her you her pot it, it could be done. Um, mm. I, I see people in uh, in um, uh, in North America, especially, uh, hybridising all the different monsteras. So it, mm. it certainly can be done. Mm. Okay, there's a side business for you, right? Oh uh, yeah, in my <laughs> spare time. And can we talk about this little guy? Which one is he? Oh, this one. Mm. This pretty little one. Okay, that's probably uh, either bipenifolium or pedatum. Probably pedatum yeah. by the, the extra ears on it. I bought one of them recently too. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're uh, a, a great indoor plant. Yeah. They can uh, survive very well in very low light. Yes. Um, I, I have a, a, a supplier that we um, get stuff from the nursery for and they've got one on the counter. and uh, it's You been, can get a variegated version You can get too, variegated, right? and there's a ghost version as well where the, oh, the yes. new leaves yes. are, are very pale to, yes. to white. Oh, I have. Yes. I think I have one of those. Yes. Do you? Yes. Uh. Um, they're quite common in Perth. Um, mm. um, Bougard's Nursery um, distributed those things for many, many years. Mm. Oh, it's all very exciting, isn't it, Ray? A lot of food for thought. Our work is done. And, Ian, uh, thank you so much for swinging in today. We appreciate my pleasure. your company in the studio with us this morning. Faya Caro, thank you. And our fabulous team, John Glidden and Bev Daring, as always. <sighs> my gardenism for the morning is, and this is very much common sense, folks, but, however, although you might think this is the time of the year to take some actual time off, you must never transgress on the allotment rules. Thou shan't go on holiday in summer. <laughs> Not right. if one is a gardener. Exactly. <laughs> George Minoldi is next with the classic 60s. Keep cool, everyone. We will be back next week and uh, happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.